One of the reasons why I love Asana so much is because it was created to help teams organize, track, and manage their work so that they can accomplish more. It doesn't matter what time of day or time zone you find yourself in, teams are always aligned no matter what. Book a call to see how Asana can make the difference in eliminating work about work within your team. Welcome to the In Systems We Trust podcast with Mark E. Murray. In Systems We Trust dives into all things systems and processes and interviews the professionals who are using them to change the landscape of their organizations every day. Are you ready for more clarity? Here we go. Welcome back to another episode of In Systems We Trust. My name is Mark Key. I'm your host, and today I'm speaking with Jesse Fry. Jesse is a certified business and executive coach with more than 2,500 hours of coaching and has worked with over 100 individuals and companies. Jesse helps businesses systemize the customer experience journey by uncovering gaps and friction points in their customer experience and identifying the systems and the technology to fill the gaps and smooth the friction. Welcome to the show, Jesse. Great. Thanks, Marky. I appreciate you having me today. Yeah, of course. Thanks for taking the time out to be on the show. I want to start talking about your your background a little bit. Um, I used to be in the marketing space and now I'm transitioning from consultant to coach. And so this is all really interesting and very relevant uh, to where I'm at right now. So I'd love to just explore your background a little bit and understand how you got your 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 start really in coaching and marketing. Yeah, sure. I actually, when I was reading your bio, I was like, wow, there's a lot of similarities between the two of us. Right. Um, I, I, you know, throughout my career, I, I actually started out as a sale in sales engineering, uh, working for General Electric many, many, many moons ago, and then eventually went into product management and eventually into marketing. And then it was really mid pandemic when I realized I was burnt out, right? Um, mm. And I didn't realize I was burnt out until I took a vacation to Colorado for two weeks, felt amazing, came back, and it was literally, you know, within a couple of hours of back into it, I realized like I, I am definitely burnt out. So mm. I'd done consulting um, before that, uh, marketing consulting, marketing, you could call it coaching, but it wasn't formal. But it wasn't until November of 2020 where I, I just decided to give up the six-figure salary and jump right into coaching, got certified, um, had some opportunities to learn from ex, you know experienced coaches. And uh, that was where it kind of started. And I've just been going ever since. Burnout is a is a very common theme. I actually just put out a post on, on LinkedIn just talking about my experience with burnout. Um, there was a there was an event in back in 2020 where you know I was really just at the end of it all you know staying up you know mm-hmm. late at nights doing all the work and you know burning the candle at both ends and so what did that mm-hmm. look like for you in, in that period because to go from burnout to hey I'm going to be a coach and start my own business now I'm sure there were some struggles even in that transition so what did that look like for you yeah, I mean, the way it showed up for me was probably a, very similar to you. I was, you know, working all the time, you know, in the middle of the pandemic. We didn't really, you know, there wasn't a lot of opportunities to really do things outside of the home. Mm-hmm. Um, I tried, you know, went running and things, but I st- always felt really, I guess, exhausted. I felt yeah. exhausted all the time. I would imagine there was probably some anxiety and depression that that popped in there as well, just due to yeah. you know, what was going on with the pandemic. Um, 
So it showed up there and it just showed up where I just didn't have the creativity anymore. I didn't have the drive or the interest to really do anything related to marketing anymore. Yeah. And I managed a team of people. So uh, it was kind of, I had to be involved. I had to be on all the time. Um, and, I, you know, when I made that shift, I almost felt the changes immediately. And, but then it, it changed, right? It changed because I was like, all right, well, I have to start generating income. I had a, I have a family, children, home. Yeah. And uh, so it was a matter of just hustling, but also recognizing I couldn't hustle so much that I was burnt out yet again, yeah. uh, doing something uh, that I might enjoy, but just wouldn't enjoy it because I was working so much. So I immediately tried to find the path of least resistance, which was trying to position myself with organizations that already had clients. Uh, so think of it as like a 1099 coach just to get that experience. Mm. And that freed me up from really the, you know, the fear of not being able to find clients. It freed me up from just, you know, having to figure out everything at once. I could get the experience. I had income coming in almost immediately. But it also allowed me the space that I needed to really craft uh, the future that I truly wanted. Right. Just because I'm curious, I mean, yeah, we definitely have similar stories. I'm just curious to know, was there anything, you know, practical that you did, whether it's hiring your own coach or, you know, going to a retreat or anything like that, that really made that big shift from you? I promise I'm getting it off the burn off track, burnout track real quick. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm just really interested. Yeah, you know, I, I have been, I'm the kind of person that I'm constantly focused on growing. Mm -hmm. um, so I had done a few other programs, a friend of mine many years ago, you know, when I was going through something else personally in my life, he actually invited me to go to a Tony Robbins seminar in New York. Okay. And, um, so, you know, I was in the, that was before all this happened, but I, my point is, is I already had some of the tools, um, you know, mental tools to really kind of recognize, I just need to make this change. I need to put things into action. I'd done another program in, um, it was like a virtual program that was 30 days. It was really about just, you know, kind of figuring out how to create balance across, you know, my mm. body, my mind, you know, my business, my family, and creating that kind of um, equal plane across all aspects. Yeah. And um, so I already had those tools, but I also, I've had a coach now for five years. And um, so yeah. it was a matter of just having conversations with him and walking through where I was feeling, what I wanted to do and to try to just get clarity, but also a lot of self-coaching as well. Okay. So it sounds like you, you got some help. I mean, obviously taking a page from Tony Robbins or a coach that's there to kind of keep you on track um, is, yeah. is, is huge in the equation. So that's awesome. Thanks for sharing that. Thanks for sharing that, Jesse. Yeah. Just want to switch gears here quickly. So you've yeah. worked with organizations across the United States, Australia, Canada, India. I'd love to know what are some of the universal challenges that you've noticed when it comes to building um, high-performing corporate marketing or, or product marketing teams? Yeah, I think it comes down to the people that you hire. Um, mm -hmm. You know, that's one of the common themes that I've seen across the board. Um, and, you know, just managing teams, but also consulting with teams across the country. And, and I actually, um, I actually coach one of my early clients was a blockchain uh, startup that was developing software for food equity. And um, they had team members here in the US, but they also had team members in Tunisia and India. 
And one of the first things that we did is really flushing out uh, teams' accountabilities and whether or not the people within their organizations knew exactly what they were supposed to be doing from day to day. And mm. uh, so we spent, I think, when you're spending time with people and you're developing teams and effective teams, one, you have to have the right people. You know, Jim Collins in his book, Good to Great, he talks about having yeah. the right people in the right seat on the bus. Um, so having the right person on the bus is the first key. And the second key is having the person in the right seat on the bus. And then the third key is actually making sure they know exactly what their roles, responsibilities, and accountabilities are so that they can be successful on their team. And um, so I've seen that both as a manager, as well as running, you know, running teams and coaching teams. And, and how do you coach your, your clients on how to figure out if that person is in the right seat? I mean, there may be an individual that's underperforming and it's not their fault. They were just placed in the wrong place. So are we looking to find the right seat for them? Are we asking them to get off the bus uh, maybe eventually? And what does that process look like? Yeah, you know, I, I see a lot of people just easily fire people just because yeah. they're underperforming. And I think I actually read an article the other day where they were talking about how they had an employee that was underperforming. They were asking a lot of small questions and they were really didn't have the confidence to truly do their job. They weren't being proactive. And rather than just throw people out the door, I always encourage my coaching clients to really evaluate, is it you, right? And I, mm. I, I firmly believe in extreme ownership as a leader and being able to truly evaluate whether it's a training issue, whether it's a personality issue. And the, the surprising part is a lot of employees carry trauma you know, throughout their life, but they carry trauma from last, you know, their previous boss or maybe a boss three or five years ago. Um, so they carry this trauma into your organization, which then prevents them from truly being the person they're capable of being. They hold back. They may not communicate as well as they should. They may not be as proactive because they're afraid of, you know, getting in trouble for taking initiative. Yeah. So it's truly trying to understand and coach them. So I coach the coach and getting them to to really evaluate that person's skills, capabilities, competencies, and what's holding them back. And just having complete transparent communication with their team members, I think is, is one of the most important uh, keys to you know, making sure people are successful in their organization. Yeah, I'm so glad you said that. I had to write down, is it you? And I circled it nice and big because so often, and I've been in a situation as well where I've had managers who um, will not you know, take that leadership role and won't admit when they are the ones who are actually at fault. And I'm a strong believer that if your team is confused, if you don't have the proper systems in place, if things are falling through the cracks, if there's frustration and people are scared or you know, aren't stepping up and there's just general you know, chaos in, in the business, it all comes back to the leader. Did they take the time to build out the process? Did they take the time to train? Do they need themselves some leadership development so that they can better understand the different personalities on their team and how people work together? Oftentimes we find that leaders will just kind of, you know, start a business, have an idea and bring folks together without that underlying background. Are you seeing that a lot or is there some training, but maybe they've just been misled along the way? I, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming you're referring to the actual leader itself. Is that, that what, what, that's correct. what I'm understanding from you? Yes. Okay. Yeah. I, 
I think a lot of people, you know, whether you're starting a business for the first time or, you know, you're an experienced business owner or you're moving into, a, you know, a CXO position or even a director level position, hmm. oftentimes leadership is not a, it's not something people train on, right? It's something we build. It's something we mimic. We see things across the board from other leaders. Um, so I definitely see where a lot of people, they don't take ownership of their limitations yeah and um so when they see something they don't do that reflection like you said right the it's you is it you is the question right yeah um so i think part of coaching is truly about being open to really uh doing introspection and asking yourself the really difficult questions is the you know complexity that i'm having in leading a team because of my own limitations and then identifying what those limitations are and figuring out strategies so that you can become a better leader. And sometimes, you know, Marquis, I think the, the big challenge is sometimes people just aren't cut out to be great leaders. Yeah. Um, they might be great managers. They might have an amazing idea. They start a business, but they're just not good people managers. So that's an important understanding as well is to know, okay, maybe I'm not good at this part of the business. So then I need to decide to bring somebody in that is good. So maybe that's mm-hmm. where you bring a second in, in charge So if you're a visionary, you're bringing in that business integrator, chief operations officer that can truly lead the team. So I think you have to remove your ego before you do that. Um, Mm -hmm. And you really need to have that kind of understanding of where your strengths and weaknesses are. And and how do you help your coaching customers come to the realization that if they are the blocker, that they do need to step out of the way and start delegating or bring in someone else because there's ego involved there. They don't Mm. want to be told or have the realization that they are not an effective leader or not not as effective as they they thought they were or or want to be or aspire to be. So what does that conversation look like? Is there a method that you approach this or are you just flat out telling them, hey, you're not the right person, get out of the seat, hand it over? Um, I think it's a delicate balance. There are those, uh, as you build rapport with your clients, Um, There are those that you can have that honest feedback and tell them straight up. Uh, I think, you know, you're at a point in your business where you really need to be thinking about bringing somebody in that can help manage your people. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'll give you a good example. I worked with a marketing agency out of New England and the CEO of the firm wasn't great at managing people. Um, Most of the employees, whenever I came in, had one foot in, one foot out. They were all looking for jobs outside of working for him. He was a good guy. He started the business because he knew the industry really well. He had some unique ideas to bring to the table and develop services around that, but he just was really bad at managing people. He had a very bubbly personality, but it didn't come off, didn't, didn't come across well Mm -hmm. uh, with his employees and the way that he managed people. So what I helped him do is understand his strengths and understand his weaknesses and allowed him to really craft what his his ideal scenario looked like, which was his ideal scenario was going out and podcasting. His ideal scenario was developing relationships, being the, the brand of the business. Yes. And then he really didn't want to be in, involved in the day to day. He really wanted to be out there, you know, building the brand and the market and creating relationships. And he was really good at that. Um, so that's when we decided to bring in a fractional chief operations officer to really help turn things around, put in systems and processes in place. And uh, during that time frame, we didn't lose one employee. 
we were able to get the employees to recognize this is the change that we're going to make. Um, this is where this person's going to step into this role and there's going to be somebody else that's going to step in and, and lead the team. And then we also worked on promoting some of the other people within the team up the ranks right. so that there was more leadership in the organization. So, uh, and it turned out really well. Uh, the organization turned around, they kept growing. Uh, we're, you know, very successful as an organization. So Incredible. And I can assume then that from the viewpoint of promoting from within, you're taking people that understand how to connect the pieces, their boots on the ground. And as they move up in leadership, they have a better sense of what their teams need and where, you know, things need to need to go. Did, did you see that as, as you were moving these people through the ranks? Yeah, I mean, it's it certainly my my opinion is it's always easier to bring people from within your team and yeah. promote them you know within yeah. than it is to bring people from the outside um certainly you have to right because you're you may have a skill set that you're deficient in within your organization you have to bring people in but as we brought you know we we in the organization was actually i think about 80 to 90 percent women um, uh. within the organization so uh it was very empowering for them to be given opportunities to grow within the organization. And um, so it was just a matter of identifying who wanted it. There were some people that just didn't want that role. Sure. They didn't want to be promoted. They were comfortable in as an individual contributor in the organization. So it was really about finding the right people, giving them the, uh, and we coached them as well. We coached them, you know, as managers. Uh, some of them didn't have leadership experience. Uh, we allowed them to try new things, uh, create new opportunities within the organization. So we, we really created an environment of flexibility, but also an environment of empowerment for people to make decisions. Um, so that also created this understanding that, wow, I have an opportunity now to move within the organization, yeah. uh, rather than having this flat organization that was all going up to the CEO of the company, uh, which didn't create an environment for people to feel like they had a place to go. Right. So important, Jesse, and, and really well said. Let's move to how you do this now. So what I want you to do is, is first off, let's talk about your six pillars of impact, impactful client experience. I would like to understand what that is, um, how it applies in your, in your coaching business. And then if you can just take us through those pillars and kind of explain them, I'd love to understand what your process looks like. Yeah. So, you know, obviously what we've been talking about is often through leadership and general business coaching. So yeah. the, that, you know, that's certainly a foundation, but what I really like to focus on is really create organizations that are customer centered. And the first part of that is, is really understanding the actual customer journey and understanding the impacts that the customer journey has on the, on the customer or the client. Um, but the, the first pillar is personalization. So as you can imagine, anything that you've purchased, whether you go to Amazon or, you know, you buy a product from a local service provider or even go to a restaurant, really building out an individualized experience and giving them individualized attention is really important. Yeah. Um, Marquis, with your background in marketing, I'm sure, you know, you're familiar with individualizing and personalizing the market yeah. the marketing experience, right, from content to creating, you know, an email sequence or, or campaign that's very personalized and making it feel, even if the content is kind of cookie cutter, it's figuring out a way to turn that cookie cutter content into more a personalized experience. So mm. personalization is certainly the number one item. The second is resolution. 
And resolutions, what I mean by that is learning how to help your team turn a poor experience into a great one. Um, so many times our teams try really hard. And um, if, you, if you own a business, um, you know that your team's trying their best every single day. And, but sometimes the client and the customer experience doesn't go exactly the way that we wanted it to. So it's teaching them how and building systems and processes in place to turn that poor experience into a great experience. So let's say you get a, a negative Google review. Mm. What is our process in place to actually respond to that Google review and to find out whether or not it is a legitimate uh, you know, negative review? Because sometimes it's actually people that post on the wrong company or it's malicious with malicious intent. We actually do see that a lot in Facebook as well as in Google reviews. But how do we turn those into positive experiences if they're real? Um, the, the next pillar is trust. Quick question you know, there, Jesse. I believe, I'm sorry, go ahead. Quick question there just on the resolution. Yeah, sure. so, so you mentioned that once sure. we understand the resolution, we want to improve the process. Are you then, you know, um, asking the leader of the business to, um, work with the team to update the process or are you um, giving this role like responsibility to the team to improve and it, and it more or less empowering them so that they can support their leader? Yeah, that, that's a great, um, that's a great question. So I firmly believe in building when you're building processes and systems is having your team, the ones that are actually involved in that process to actually map out the process, yeah. look at the gaps and the friction points within the process, and then figuring out a way to actually improve the process. Because the reality is um, when your team is empowered to fix something or improve something or create something, they're more likely to buy into that. So right. definitely, you know, I, my goal ultimately as a business coach is often to remove the CEO out of the day-to-day um, that's what their dreams and their goals are when they own a business oftentimes yeah. is so that they can go off and start other businesses. Um, so yes, definitely have them involved, have the employees involved uh, into building out those processes. Love that. Thank you. And you said number three was trust. Did I get that? It was trust. Perfect. Yeah. So it's really about acting with integrity and an endearing trust within the organization. Um, I believe as one of the most important elements is we have to have trust within the organization in order to build trust outside of the organization. Hmm. And that means that everybody within the organization trusts their, their teammates. We trust the leaders above us. The leaders trust those below them uh, in order to act with integrity. And that when we make mistakes, we say, hey, we, we screwed up here. And um, so it, it's really important to build that in. And that's why one, it's one of the most important pillars is, is creating trust with your customers, but also trading uh, trust within the organization. How do you, I want to make sure I frame this correctly. How do you believe that once trust has been broken or something has occurred that it can be won back? Is there anything that the leader can do with the team to win their trust over? Or, you know, depending on the severity of the situation, do you feel like all hope is lost and we just have to almost let the team turn itself over and start afresh. Yeah, I, I think that you can definitely turn trust around. Um, I oh. always, this may sound silly, but I, I, I tell business owners when I'm working with them is your employees have love languages just like, uh, you know, people in your life, like your children or your, your significant other. 
And you have to find ways to love your team members and to build their trust the same way that you do in any other relationship in your life. Mm. Now, I'm not suggesting if, you know, their, their love language is physical touch that you go off and do that, right? Of course, but yeah. There are, there are ways that we can empower our teams by loving our team members, by mm. treating them with the dignity and respect uh, of their differences. And when we break their trust, there are some times that we break their trust and it's so far along that you can't recover that. Mm. But I think if we, if we go with that mindset, then we lose the opportunity to learn through that process. So it's an opportunity for the leader or the manager, you know, whether you're in an individual contributor position or not, if you break somebody's trust, there are opportunities to admit and own to that truth, to that truth, ultimately, yeah. the truth that like we did something wrong or we made a mistake or we said something that we shouldn't. Um, but there are certain, let's be fair, there are certain things that we say something or do something that is completely at the detriment of the organization, whether yeah. we're the business owner or an employee, it can destroy trust permanently and it can really make a difference in people. You, you'll never recover that, which is why some, some businesses, you know, CEOs have to be relieved of their, of their duties. Right. And they have to bring somebody in because that trust has been, you just can't repair it. Yeah. And there's something to be said about the, the leader that, will own up to it. I love that you said like they've got to own that that um that mess up or whatever the case was because that in itself I think is like really the first step to getting the trust back from your team. If you're the leader that is just oblivious to either what you did or what the situation is and you don't want to take ownership, that just drives a larger wedge in between you and now your team. But if you're willing to step up and I've been in the situation before where I've messed up royally and, you know, I have to come on camera to my team and say, yes, like, I messed up. This is me. I'm going to own this 100%. And I'll fall on my sword 100% of the time because I'd much rather that than have to or, you know, take the, the road where I'm throwing someone else under the bus or not taking responsibility for that because that is going to um, make it so that your, your relationships down the road are even that much uh, harder to repair. And so, yeah, thanks yeah. for saying that. Um, Taking lots of notes here. What what comes after trust? Yeah. Uh, connection. So okay. really understanding your your customers' unique circumstances that build that deep relationship with them. So you have mm -hmm. to establish trust with them. And you know, a good example of the customer experience on building trust is, uh, you know, I always tell I have a lot of legal law firms uh, clients, and I tell them all the time you're one of many options for people in your particular practice area hmm. and they find you online and you're one of 200 in that list of potential lawyers to serve their needs and you have to find ways to build their trust and that is through typically the pre-sales process and then also into the onboarding process is creating that trust but then at some point you have to figure out how to create that connection with them because that connection is the part that's going to last long term. And part of that is where we have to teach our employees. And we have to have systems in place that create that connection. Yeah. And that could be a onboarding process where we as a team meet with the client one on one, the customer one on one. Now, if you're a service oriented business that works, if you're selling widgets, it's hard to create that same experience, right? Yeah. But you can do that with follow-up emails. You can do that with thank you emails. You can do that with personalized videos. 
AI is so amazing, right? There's so many opportunities of taking these AI tools uh, and, and making them more personalized by having a single video and it personalizes. it. There's so much at our fingertips that we can create connection with clients and it's understanding how our clients want to be connected. Yeah. Some, you know, and that's why our, our buyer persona is really important in understanding our buyer and what drives them and keeps them motivated and how do we keep them coming back for more. So that's connection. Connection is really just how do we create unique circumstances with them to build that deeper relationship? How, how can we take that a step further? I'm going to touch on all these points and I'll, I'll, I'll let you yeah. finish, I promise. But how do we take that connection a step further? I've recently launched um, what we're calling the System Builder Academy. If you're listening, you can head over to systembuilderacademy.com, check it out. But really, because Asana is my background, um, as well as process improvement, project management, but I'm, I'm taking what is essentially relationships that have started on Facebook and LinkedIn groups and moving them to a closed community where we can actually connect with folks, right? We're not fighting yeah. against other content or... Um, the algorithms. And so within this community, like I'm running events, um, anyone that joins, I'm welcoming them personally. I'm putting out posts, I'm asking questions. And I, I've had this thought that if, if it all goes well, you know, a year from now, we can have a meetup, let's say. So mm -hmm. what are some of the practical ways that we can, you know, take connection to the next level that's beyond an email once a week or, you know, a, a Slack channel? Just curious what your experience has taught you. Yeah, I mean, you, you mentioned a lot of the things that I would have said, right? Yeah. Um, we, we think of these online communities as mostly Facebook groups, yeah. um, but we're kind of at the mercy of, of, to your point, Facebook's algorithm. Yeah. So there are a lot of tools out there that you can build, you know, connected groups within that. Um, so one of the organizations that I've, I've supported, we actually, they had a very successful Facebook group of over 3,000 people that they build over a couple years. And from that point, we then suggested for them to move their, their customer experience into more of a dedicated space. Yeah. So then they moved to a Mighty Networks environment. That was the tool that they actually chose to use. But there's plenty of tools out there. Um, and then from that point on, now they actually hold uh, quarterly in-person retreats. Love that. And those retreats are part of their their subscription. So they have a, a essentially a subscription to their business um, and they meet on a quarterly basis and that, you know, they have additional education opportunities. They bring in people that are partners, networking partners uh, to come in and continue to educate their customers. Um, and uh, those I've, I've attended uh, those a few times. I actually have been a guest speaker at a few of them mm -hmm. and the, the relationships you build there is why people keep coming back. And one of the things that we do uh, in order to understand why, you know, there's net, net promoter scores and there's other ways to measure, you know, whether or not people continue to recommend you. But when people actually leave, which their their retention rates like 80 percent. So it's a great retention rate. OK. Um, but we ask, like, why why did you why did you leave? And they're like, well, I'm leaving because I think I need something different. And, and then I asked, what would be a reason for you to stay? And they said, well, I'm, I'm going to miss the community. Um, right. That is what they connected with the most. So it's figuring out how to then make that community even stronger so that, they, that the other things seem like, well, I can't imagine living without this community. And a lot of times people will even come back because they miss the community so well right. or, you know, so much. 
Um, so I think that in-person events, now that we're getting back, you know, over the last year, uh, 2022 at the end and now 2023, um, you know, having those in-person connections, I- I'll give you another great example on how you create Please. that connection. I signed up uh, for a, a tool to get me in front of pod- podcast um, hosts like yourself. Yeah. And the CEO of the company actually sent me a video, a personalized video that was sent directly to me. And he said that he does this uh, to five people per week. And he picks five people on their platform every week and sends them personalized video. You know, it takes him maybe 15 minutes to record the video. And then he puts it in an email and sends it to you personally. And that to me, it it, it made a difference for me. And whenever I thought about, well, is this platform worth it for me? That was the one thing on my mind that was like, you know what? He took he took the effort yeah. uh, as a startup founder to really take the time to send me a personalized message. And he didn't just say, hey, Jesse, he actually looked at my profile and knew what my background was and pointed out certain things about what he was impressed by or whatever. So he was ultimately stroking my ego. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same sense, I felt that, that that kind of experience is more personalized and that goes back to personalization. Um, so I think there's a lot of things that we can do beyond just that simple email, like you mentioned earlier. Okay. Those are some great practical examples. Thanks so much. And I'm of course, writing them all down. So I think we're at number yeah. five now, five of six. Yeah. So five's expectations, right? Okay. Uh, one of the biggest, um, and, and I often, as you'll notice, as I'm talking about the customer experience, um, I'm also talking about the employee experience. So there's CX, which we often know as customer experience, but then there's EX, employee experience. Mm. So they're so interchangeable because our employees are the ones that are really handling the client experience. So having managing and meeting and exceeding the customer's expectations are essential to the expectation pillar. And part of that is making sure that our team understands what those expectations are and what standards we set within our organization. And oftentimes when expectations are not met, deadlines are broken in, you know, whether you're a project driven organization or you're a coaching organization or you're delivering a product, right? I I had actually wood delivered to my house this morning because I'm building a fence. And when the delivery driver came to my house, um, they were they forgot to actually bring part of my order, right? And uh, the the driver was gracious, and he told me what process I needed to go through in order to you know reconcile the the, the missing gap in that process. But then whenever I called their customer service department, they were like, "We'll try to get it out to you today." I'm like, mm-hmm. "You'll try to get it out to me today, right?" Um, so it, it's you set an expectation of me that you're going to deliver something on time. I have a project that I want to start. Now my project is delayed because you didn't actually fulfill the order the way that you were supposed to. So it's really understanding and meeting your client's expectations. The way they could have responded is says, you know, Mr. Fry, we'll make sure that we get that out to you by the end of the day today. Yeah. Uh, it's literally six minutes away, right? Yeah. They could easily put it on a truck and bring it here. Um, so... The, the driver knew what his role was in that process, uh, but the person that answered the phone didn't necessarily know what their role was in managing and meeting my expectations. So that's why expectations are a really important pillar of that process. Amazing. Great story as well. And what's our last one then? 
Last one is figuring out ways to reduce friction, right? Minimizing right. the customer's effort. There's actually a, a metric that a lot of people don't use. So a lot of times in customer experience, we use the MPS score. Customer, there's yeah. also the customer CSAT score. CSAT. Um, but there's also the customer friction score, right? It's understanding where they experience friction and, and the complexity around that that. Uh, how it was doing business with us and what areas of the process were complicated. Um, we can have a great net promoter score, but oftentimes we don't necessarily know what level of friction they experienced in the process. Um, and, you know, again, I, I work with a lot of law firms. So oftentimes the customer experience was great and they will give a, a good net promoter score, but there were moments throughout the customer journey that there was a lot of friction mm. and understanding where that comes from and understanding what uh, what stages of the customer journey there was friction um, will often allow us to allow us to be proactive and to look at our systems and processes at that certain stage so that we can make adjustments. So if we know that, let's say the onboarding process was amazing, but then after onboarding, your, your team pretty much you know, goes dark and you're not following up with the customer, you're not giving them updates, you don't have a customer portal to give them an understanding of, you know, what's going on, that creates friction for the client because the client wants updates, the client feels they need updates and they're paying you a lot of money. So uh, that friction will cause them to potentially, um, you know, potentially leave you and not recommend, but you can turn that around as well. So uh, they can still give you a decent net promoter score knowing that their case in and i'll use again legal as an experience their outcome of their case was the way they anticipated it but you still didn't address the actual friction during that one stage in the process so uh, measuring friction along the way as a way for you to kind of know in the journey where you need to make improvements so awesome. reducing friction at all costs is really important I love that. And great. Um, I'm sure that creates great case studies for how to improve or where to improve based on those friction points as well. Okay. Yeah. So, sorry, go on. No, no, good. That's it. Okay. We, we've gotten through all the six. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious now, your, your coaching program, how long is it? So are you touching on one of these pillars every week with your, with your, with your clients? Is this a six month program and we're spending time, you know, um, over the, over those six months, um, really diving into one of those pillars. Just curious how you're structuring this and then delivering this value to your customers. Yeah. So I like to start all engagements with a six week assessment essentially yeah. and knowing where things are at before they make a commitment into a long-term engagement. Um, I think it's really important, one, to build trust, right? Yeah. So part of my process is to build trust with people, uh, to demonstrate, um, you know, demonstrate my capabilities and competencies before we move into more of a long-term relationship. So it's really, um, it's finding opportunities to improve. So we go through all the pillars during that six-week period. Okay. We understand what their customer journey is. We understand what their buyer persona looks like. Um, so that's really important. And um, then we also do a, uh, a customer impact map. So okay. that customer impact, ma impact map, um, it allows us to see all the impact points across the customer journey for them. Mm -hmm. And after that, then we put an action plan into place. And it's up to them whether they want to go off and do that themselves. 
um, or we can help them, you know, with the uh, overseeing of the implementation, helping them solution, because a lot of times they don't know what the solutions are yeah. to the problem. So it's solutioning, uh, help, help them come up with solutions to the problem, help them identify vendors and technology that can actually align to those different stages uh, in the customer journey. And we have partners that we work with that are really good at different stages in the journey, um, but we're not, we don't force people to go with our partners. We give them the options and we just tell them, here's the pros and cons of each option. Uh, and then we help coach them through that process and help them uncover additional friction points and gaps and uh, correct the problem as much as we can. Can you give us one quick example of a time where it, it didn't go according to plan? You had a particularly challenging coaching clients and you know how you use this framework to bring them through to the other side is there one example you can think back to um i'm trying to think uh, most of them end up turning out pretty well because this is a unique uh it's a unique niche in okay. coaching um so a lot of times they don't know what to expect Great i would answer. say that i actually had a client that was out of arizona that um trying to uncover their customer journey was was quite challenging uh, for them. And they hadn't really looked at their business from this perspective. Uh, a lot of people go into their businesses and develop the products and services with the mind of solving a problem or creating a product. Yeah, uh, They don't think of it as what is the customer's experience look like. And um, so we did a lot of the legwork for them because they just didn't know how to approach you know, analyzing their data. They didn't know how to approach, um, you know, really understanding what their persona was. They just knew they were selling to people. Um, so looking back at it, they were probably a little less clear of their mm. offer than they should have been. Yeah. Um, so they probably needed us to do more coaching around their offer than the actual experience themselves. Um, but we, we just stuck to our framework and really focused on the pillars and tried to understand, you know, get clear on their avatar, their client avatar, and build that out, and then really starting to map their process. And it it, it didn't actually go as well as we wanted it to. It took a lot longer, um, but ultimately we were able to get clarity for them. They were able to understand why they were having, and their problem really wasn't a customer delivery issue. They had no problem delivering to the client. Their issue was actually in the marketing stage, and they were leaving a lot of, um, they were leaving a lot of opportunities on the table uh, because they were doing their sales process was very heavy. It was very heavy. There was a lot of friction in the process. And uh, so we cover from the moment that a, you know, a client becomes aware of us all the way to the time well after we're finished working with them. So um, awesome. there will even be a lot of marketing, which is why my marketing background works so well to this. Absolutely. Us marketers, I feel like we have a, a leg up and an unfair yeah, advantage yeah. in all of this. Um, I, I circled here, get clear on your offer. Um, thanks for sharing that example. Yeah. So Jesse, you've got one message to the world. Your ideal clients are listening right now. If you haven't covered it already, what's one message you want to leave them with? Um, I think the message that that's a good question. I honestly didn't think about it. So I'm going to have to go uh, sure. completely off the cuff here. Yeah, I, I think, I think really what I, what I want to get across to people is that we oftentimes, we don't understand what, what our client experience really looks like. We just know what the outcome looks like. We know who we want to go after and we know what the outcome is. 
but we don't often look at what the experience actually looks like for them and how can we actually take a, an, a you know an eight and make them a 10 right so even if our customers are having a great experience how do we make it even better for them because most of us live off of referrals most of us yeah. you know we digital marketing works great but a lot of business comes through referrals so by making your client experience better you're going to be able to create more referrals those people are going to be happier which ultimately are going to create more referrals again um, so i think just understand how your clients are being serviced is really the key for me. Great answer. Thanks so much. Thebusinessblueprint.io is where you can check out Jesse and his work and all the things that he's doing. Jesse, a perfect website. Where else can people connect with you to chat and to learn more about what you're up to? They can obviously connect with me on LinkedIn uh, or you can visit coach.jessejfry.com. Uh, that's my more individualized page. So coach.jesse, middle initial jfrye.com. And um, they can learn about me as a coach and learn about my biography and background and just connect with me that way as well. Perfect. Thanks so much for your time today, Jesse. Really enjoyed our chat and uh, we'll have to catch up soon. Thanks so much. Great. Thanks, Marky. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the In Systems We Trust podcast with Marquis Murray. If you liked what you heard today, hit subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Don't forget to rate the episode and share it with a friend. 